Chapter 9 of A Christmas Honeymoon by Francis Amar Matthews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. What Peter Saw Passing His Door. Biddy, Shadow said the day after Mrs. Van Zant came back. What shall we do? Miss Supple shook her head. We must let the master know, Biddy, mustn't we? We'll write him the same as we did before, Shad, and say that Mrs. Van Zant is back. Yes, but the butler cast a dubious eye upon his betrothed. Leave the butts out of it altogether, Shad. Don't say nothing, don't write nothing except what we did the first time. All right, Bridget, you know best. Let him find it all out for himself, Bridget added, as she adjusted her turkey red dusting cap. Ah, oh, it's glad I am this day I wheedled the boss builder into not putting up the wall on the parlor floor. Shadow regarded Miss Supple with that veneration which is always becoming in his sex and proceeded out to sweep his sidewalk. The note, a counterpart of its predecessor, was written and cautiously placed beneath the finger-bowl doily this time, when the master was about to finish his dinner. He saw and read it. He did not finish his dinner. He rose from the table, took his coat and hat, and went out. Around the corner, on the opposite side of the street, from there he could see the lights in her windows, even see her shadow as she crossed. Well, it was. He was evenly balanced enough to admit himself a magnificent thing to have lived to feel as he did. At forty-seven, Peter felt as he never had before— what he had experienced at twenty-one was a child's play in comparison. She was up there. One roof would cover them both that night. Was it not a splendor to know so much? She had not sought to marry another man. His name was her name. She had come home. The knowledge thrilled to his soul, and the rapture of it raised him to those seventh heavens— which are erroneously supposed to be reserved for the young in years. Which is quite an untruth, for they are untraveled roads to the young in years, and only he who has lived a while on has ever become at all intimate with the gardens of the gods through which these paths pass. By and by, Peter went over to the Union League Club. By and by again, he came home, by way of her windows, assuredly. Days afterward, Mr. Van Zant was standing on his stoop, buttoning his gloves, about to go downtown, when he saw a little boy just passing his area gate, a little boy with the bluest eyes, and the softest dark curls, and the straightest little legs in velvet leggings. He carried a violin case, and very likely that, and a certain air of distinction and courage about the boy— caused Mr. Van Zant to touch his hat and speak. "'Good morning, little man.' "'Good morning, monsieur.' The velvet cap was entirely off the curly head with a bow of mingled courtesy and aloofness, the salute of one gentle person to another when both are strangers. "'On the way to school, I suppose.' Mr. Van Zant was by this, down the stoop and on the sidewalk. "'No, monsieur, on the way to take my violin lesson.' Aha, I see. You don't go to school? They were already taking steps together toward the parade ground. No, monsieur, 
Grandmamma says I shall not go to school until another year. You are a French boy, sir? Yes, monsieur, looking up with wide, inquisitive eyes. But I am to be an American man. Indeed, how is that? I will learn to be one here, Grandmamma says so. I hope you may. Now, do you turn here? Yes, monsieur, I cross the park and go on to the cottage place number twelve. Signor Prati lives there. He is the teacher of my violin. Peter lingered. Why, he did not know. The boy loitered. The reason for it he, of course, did not seek. Then Peter said, Do you pass this way every day, sir? No, monsieur. All the every other day. And you love the violin, of course? The child's small shoulders raised themselves quite expressively. It was with me, monsieur, the piano, but grandmamma, again the little shoulders went up, would not have it so. It must for her be the violin, always the violin, so I study it carefully, but I do not like the noise sometimes. But to please your grandmamma, eh? Mr. Van Zandt was frankly interested now in this child. Children had not appealed to him, in fact, they had hardly been observed factors in the life he had so far led, and the fresh, naive expression of this one charmed and amused him, at any rate for the moment. Ah, oh, monsieur, yes, to please grandmamma, I would do whatever it was. He raised his cap, and glancing at the clock, hurried away. Peter had an image of the boy, and of the boy's grandmother in his mind, some stately, white-haired old lady in a stiff sage-green brocade, with a cape and fringes, a snowy lace kerchief crossed on her breast, a cap with lilac ribbons, and a reticule full of smelling salts and spectacles, quite a grand dame, and from France, of course. This was Peter's mental portrait of this little boy's grandmother. Then Peter got into an omnibus and rode down to Nassau Street, for he had lately resumed his law practice. The following morning, by an instinct or impulse which he did not recognize with sufficient definiteness to analyze, Mr. Van Zandt found himself, as he left for his office, glancing up and down the street for a glimpse of that little boy. He did not see him. The little boy did not go for violin lessons every day, to be sure not. When Mr. Van Zandt came home about five o'clock, he also looked for that little boy, but did not see him. He had a mind to go around the corner and get just a glimpse of Mrs. Van Zandt's windows, of Mrs. Van Zandt's shadow, but no, he went into his house with something rather like a sigh. Peter lived in the front of his house. He had never in all these years gone to the rear where he might have looked out upon the garden. The garden, he argued, was Betty's, and not even his eyes should pry upon the paths, the shade, the flowers or the vines in summer, on the broad, unflecked reaches of the snow, the frozen pool of the fountain in winter. He would deny himself even one glance over the high wall which he had built giving to her the most part of the ground. He was thinking along these lines when the vision of that little boy with the violin entered in and took quiet possession of his mind. That little boy seemed to him, in his fantasy, to be standing near Betty, 
ah to be sure that was because the little french lad's eyes were blue and his curls dark his cheeks bursting in bloom of rose his lips coral and of course what odd fancies a man can have but again the next day and the next peter van zandt searched the street for the little boy at last he espied him running as fast as his small legs could tear but coming to a sudden halt cap off as he beheld peter van zandt good morning monsieur he was quite breathless good morning sir you are in a hurry you are late no monsieur i am early i am running away so that stradivarius can't follow me indeed stradivarius is a playmate of yours i take it another little boy no monsieur i find no boys yet here to play with grandmamma says by and by it will be different but now my playmate is grandmamma and also the pussy-cats is stradivarius a pussy-cat peter inquired wishing ardently to know to commune with this child and feeling awkward and ill at ease with the perfect novelty of his situation yes monsieur there is also old boule and paganini very nice i am sure may i walk along with you sir to signor prati's yes monsieur if you will they have these names because grandmamma says they're singing at night you know in the garden is much like the way my violin cries when i punish it with my bad playing i see mr van zandt found the little french boy adorable and entertaining both and your grandmamma is your playmate for an old lady that is remarkable sir oh monsieur the lad's round eyes opened to their widest grandmamma is not old not at all he laughed a little oh but no you should see her play with paganini figure to yourself monsieur she runs for him with a ball and string quite like i do is it possible mr van zandt's imagination took shape with the old lady in the brocade and kerchief tripping somewhat stiffly for the edification of the pussy-cat and the boy and what is your name sir may i ask the child looked at the man askance with the unconscious appraisal of childhood and then he answered frankly pierre de la curole monsieur pierre repeated mr van zandt with a smile yes monsieur for the english it is peter grandmamma calls me peter sometimes monsieur my father was the marquis de la curole but grandmamma says there are no marquises here and your father why did peter van zandt question this stranger lad no matter he did the child raised his cap from his head and stood still is gone monsieur to look for my mamma his bonny eyes were gazing up up into the clear blue of the november sky mr van zandt took off his own hat and for a moment the two stood bareheaded silent in the leaf-strewn walk of the old parade ground you and madame your grandmamma then are all alone sir yes monsieur except the cats except the cats would you like me to call you by your title for the title is yours sir in this country as well as in france no monsieur he shook his head vehemently and mr van zandt's face expressed the query which his lips did not frame the lad felt this he was to be sure 
but a young lad only seven or so but perhaps precocious from always having lived with grown-up people it is like this monsieur there is grandpapa he spoke softly tenderly ah you also have your grandpapa that is good the little boy shook his head as vigorously as before but no monsieur we have him not he was an american gentleman both of him one of him is also gone away again the child looked up again both man and boy bared their heads for a moment of silence the other one i have not seen he was an american also grandmamma has his picture i think he spoke with a doubtful emphasis in a gold frame round her neck i don't know but i am to be as they were monsieur in american he took a long breath resting after the many words his unaccustomed lips had spoken childhood is staccato and he was tired with the continuity i see sir this is cottage place do we turn in here yes monsieur signor prati will be in the little balcony waiting hark you can hear him playing his violin so that is very beautiful when one is the master of it but i the violin is the master of me it is a difficult instrument mr van zandt was almost accompanying the child to the gate of number twelve monsieur if you do not make it your slave it shrieks and howls and makes crazy everybody near it peter regarded the boy he was a strange boy he thought but perhaps all children were odd peter did not know will monsieur then enter and see signor prati his small hand was on the latch no sir no i thank you i must be getting down to my office the same thought was in the mind of each why did not monsieur tell his name to the child van zandt felt keenly his own breach of etiquette but not as keenly as the boy felt it there was even an expectant hesitant pause at the wicket then the man put out his hand and said i hope to meet you soon again sir forty-seven has innumerable reservations and the lad said disappointed but gallant good morning monsieur i thank you end of chapter nine